few years ago, Robin and I were having dinner in a group, and it was a little bit of a new group. There were those who were unfamiliar with others. There were some people, it was their first time in a gathering like this. And Robin and I quickly recognized that there was someone in the group who wanted others to know how important they were, and they did this by dropping names of really important people that they had been around or people who knew them. Uh, they were one of the classic name droppers. I mean, you know the kind of people I'm talking about. And Robin and I, as we left dinner that night, we kind of chuckled, but internally I began to think, I wonder if I'm that person. If when I'm in un uncomfortable or unfamiliar spaces, if I'm the one who's dropping names to make myself feel more important or to seem as though I belong here. And so I decided to take a little bit of an informal survey. I began to uh, pay attention to the ways that I spoke in circles or uh, arenas in which I wasn't really comfortable or familiar. And guess what? I'm guilty. I'm a name dropper. I'm that guy. I began to realize that the same thing that is possible in others that I see and sometimes chuckle at are the same things that have the power to win space in my own life. And I began to realize there is a war raging within each one of us as humans. And it's this war, this internal war between pride and humility. It's a war to, to lift ourselves up or to exalt ourselves, to make ourselves seem more important or feel more important, especially in situations in which we're unfamiliar or uncomfortable. And the interesting thing about this war is it's not just a war that's contained within us, but it spills out and the effects of this war begin to affect the people around us. Sometimes people that we, we don't know very well, oftentimes people that we know and love the most are affected by the war raging within in each one of us. Well, the next few weeks, we're gonna to begin to look at this war raging within each one of us. It's a common thing and it's found even in scripture. Jesus found himself in a situation like this. He went to dinner at a certain man's house and he began to notice that as people began to come to the dinner, the wedding feast, they began to position themselves at the table and each of them wanted to find themselves in the most important spots at the table. And Jesus just called them out. He has a way of doing that. He said, look, when you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit at the seat of honor. I mean, what if someone who is more distinguished than you comes, then uh, the host is gonna come to you and say, hey, get up and move to a lesser seat. Like Jesus is challenging this, this propensity that we have, especially in these situations around other people to sit in the seats of honor or to make ourselves seem more important. And then Jesus makes this statement. He says, for those of you who exalt themselves, you'll be humbled. But for those who humble themselves, they will be exalted. It's this call that Jesus is making to allow humility to work its way into our heart, into our mind, and into the actions of our lives. Jesus, uh, in his entire life, in his ministry, he, he represented this, this move towards humility. And Paul picks up on this. He's writing this letter to a young church and to young Christians. And he says this, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress other people. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't just look out for your interests, but take an interest in others too. And then he says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus himself had. There's this war raging within us. 
pride and humility. And here's the great news, that no matter which side has begun to take up residence within you and to become expressed on the outside of your life, uh, the great news is that God's faithfulness will meet us wherever we are and again begin to develop that humility that he wants to see take up residence in our lives. I'm excited today. Sarah is going to kick off our series talking about Hannah and uh, the, the early chapters of 1 Samuel, which is a book in the Old Testament. And then over the next few weeks, we're going to look at a couple other characters. And I want to challenge us to open our hearts and open our minds to allow God's spirit to look within us and convict us where we need to be convicted. I hope we'll be, begin to see ourselves in the characters of the story, and I hope that we'll lean into the faithfulness of God, His Spirit shaping us and molding us into the people He wants us to be. Look, the war is raging within each one of us. Let's open our hearts and allow God to do what He wants to do over the next few weeks. Good morning. How are we? Good. I like that you talk back to me. There's not a lot of people in this room, so I think we can do that this morning. Um, I'm super thankful for the opportunity to talk with you this morning and to open up this series. Um, I spend a lot of time with the teenagers in this room, but I don't get a lot of time with you adults. So um, I realize that some of you may not know me. Um, my name is Sarah. I'm the student life director here. Um, my husband, Kyle, and I have been um, in Scottsdale and at McDowell for about two and a half years. Um, one thing that you should know about me is that I am not a native Arizonan. I'm actually a Texas girl, um, born and raised on all the barbecue and humidity. It's really great. Um, but when people ask me how I got to Arizona, I can really only laugh. Um, <laughs> and disclaimer before I tell you this story, um, we love McDowell. We love Scottsdale. This has become a home for us. I'm so grateful for the path that um, God laid for us. That is way better than I could have ever come up with. Um, but when I was graduating college in Texas, I started to look for youth ministry jobs, and I applied for about 52 jobs in Dallas to be near friends and family, and one job in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I will let you know the door <laughs> that God opened for me. Um, it was Tennessee, which tends to be how God works. Um, so I went, I decided I would do my time in Knoxville, my two years out of state, and then of course I would come back to Texas afterwards. Um, so I did my two years, I met Kyle there, um, and as those two years were coming to an end, I started to apply for youth ministry jobs yet again. Um, I applied for about 64 jobs this time in Dallas, and one job in Scottsdale, Arizona. And you can guess where I ended up. <laughs> um, so here we are, and I'm grateful for the path that God has led us on. Um, but there are days where I miss weddings, and I miss holidays, and I'm going through airport security for the upteenth time, leaving my family, and just thinking, Lord, what, what is this path that I'm on? I don't understand. This is not how life played out or how I imagined it playing out for me. There's a tension inside of me on those days, a war within, if you will, um, the tension between um, trusting God with my life, with my decisions, with my path, or just walking in the way that I want life to look. There's a tension. So what do we do when life is not as it ought to be. 
What do we do when life is not as it ought to be? So there's this story in scripture of a woman named Hannah, and her life was not as it ought to be. Um, She was struggling with infertility. Um, She was struggling with the taunting of a woman who had children of her own um, and a husband who didn't quite get it. Hannah's life was not as it ought to be. Um, I'm going to cheat this morning. I'm going to tell you the most important thing that I'm going to say. And I want you to remember it um, just in case you forget everything else. Um, And that is this. Humility is trusting God when life isn't as it ought to be. Humility is trusting God when life isn't as it ought to be. So let's take a look at this story. I'm going to give you the Spark Notes version because there is a lot of text in here. But I encourage you to go back and read in 1 Samuel 1. It's a really amazing story of God's faithfulness. Um, So Hannah is one wife of a man named Elkanah, and he has another wife named Penina. Um, Penina has children, and Hannah does not, and Penina will not let Hannah forget it. Um, The scripture says that year after year, Penina taunts Hannah. Um, She discourages her because she cannot have her own children. Um, And every time, Hannah is reduced to tears, and she cannot eat. Um, just a sidebar, a humorous part of this story um, that her husband Elkanah says to her. He says, why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted because you have no children? You have me. <laughs> Isn't that better than having 10 sons? Oh, Elkanah, like any good husband would, he is just trying to fix the problem. But the deepest desire of Hannah's heart had not yet been fulfilled. Her life was not as it ought to be. Um, So the family, they go back to the tabernacle again as they do year after year for them to pray and to meet with God. Um, And the scripture says this, and this is just such a picture of Hannah's heart. It says, Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. I can just see Hannah curled up in a ball at the end of her rope in agony. Lord, I have no other words. I have given you all that I have. I have poured out my heart to you, and I still don't have the desire of my heart. Um, So I feel like her last-ditch effort is, Lord, If you will give me the son, I will dedicate him back to you. He'll be used for your purposes. It'll be for your glory. Um, But that's all I have left. So the priest that's sitting in the tabernacle sees Hannah, and he actually thinks that she's drunk because he sees words coming. He sees her mouth moving, but no words are coming out. Um, So he thinks that she's drunk, but little does he know that Hannah is pouring out her agony. She's pouring out her discouragement to God. Um, So Hannah goes home, and plot twist, she does get pregnant with a son, um, and she names him Samuel, which means that God has heard. Um, And whether you realize it or not, um, I think that there's some of you in this room who are tuning me out in this moment, um, because you hear that Hannah asked God for what she wanted, and Hannah got what she asked for. But maybe you're thinking, for me, The deepest desire of my heart has not yet been met. I've been pouring out my heart to God, and that desire has not yet been fulfilled. So maybe you're wondering, God, have you forgotten about me? 
Do you hear my prayers? Do you hear my desires? Um, I hear you. And I think this story is for you too. Um, I think this story is so much more about the humility of Hannah's heart, um, more than the blessing that she received. Um, If you read on later in the story, um, once Samuel gets to a certain age, Hannah does dedicate him back to the Lord. She brings him back to that tabernacle, and she releases him to the priests for them um, to take him and um, for his calling on his life to be fulfilled. Um, So she dedicated her pain to God when she was in the midst of it. But then once she had that blessing, she dedicated that blessing back to God too. There is a humility in that. Um, There's something we can learn from her when our lives are not as they ought to be. Um, So when we're grieving, um, when you haven't experienced the reconciliation you hoped for, whether that's in a marriage or a friendship, um, when our hopes fell through, when life didn't play out the way that we thought it would, humility is still trusting God when life isn't as it ought to be. Okay, I think there are four key words that are evident in Hannah's story, and I'm going to use alliteration because Matt's not here, and he doesn't like alliteration, so I'm going to give you alliteration this morning uh, so that you can remember what I'm about to say. Um, Four P's in Hannah's story that are evident that keep us on the path of humility, Um, and just so you know, Jesus is the perfect model of humility. He was fully God, um, and he lowered himself to become fully human like us, um, entering into our sin, entering into our shame and our messiness. That is the perfect picture of humility, and we will never completely get it right. There's a war within between humility and pride and following my desires and following the path that God has me on. There's a war within, um, But these words, I think, that are so evident in Hannah's story keep us on that path, um, keeping our eyes on Jesus and keeping us humble. So the first P is posture. Um, And when I say posture, I mean the posture of Hannah's heart. Um, Hannah continued to lower herself, lower and lower. She lowered her desire. She continued to be faithful in her requests year, years after year. We don't really know how long it was that she continued to ask God for a son, but she was faithful. Um, there were times probably where she could have given up, um, knowing that she'd asked God over and over again and nothing had happened, but she continued to raise her requests to God. She could have very easily raised fighting fists against Penina, and Penina would have deserved it, um, but she didn't. She went back, she poured out her heart to God, knowing that God was the one who was fighting for her. So the posture of Hannah's heart. Um, The second P is peace. Even in her pain, there is a peace about Hannah, just a calm. She got to the end of her rope, and she laid her requests at the feet of Jesus, and she let it go. Um, And for us, our peace is not found in a perfect set of circumstances. Our peace is not found um, when life is finally as it ought to be, which, by the way, it never will be on this side of heaven. Um, But our peace is found when we place our circumstances in God's hands, knowing that he can hold it, knowing that he's big enough. The third P is presence. 
I have a weird rhetorical question for you this morning. Um, Where are you? (laughs) Where are you right now? Where are your feet planted? What season of life are you in? Um, And whatever the answer to that is, that's where God is. Wherever you are, that's where God's presence is. Um, So if you're at the kitchen table and you're homeschooling your kids because distance learning is still a thing, God is there. Um, If you're an empty nester and family doesn't look the same way that it used to, God is there too. Um, When you're like all of us and you're in the middle of COVID and nothing about life is normal, God is still there too. Um, When you're a Texas girl living in Arizona, God is also there. (laughs) Hannah believed that baby or not, God was there and he heard her. Okay, the last P is prayer. And prayer is what wraps us all up into a bow. Prayer is what makes humility possible in the first place. Prayer changes the posture of your heart. Prayer reinstills peace. Prayer reminds us of God's presence. Um, And your prayers don't have to be eloquent. And when we're going through pain, we're going through agony, they probably aren't eloquent. Um, God hears your SOS prayers. Every time you whisper, Lord, I need you. Lord, help. Lord, I can't do this. God hears those prayers too. So the thought I want to leave with you this morning is what in your life is not as it ought to be? What is the deepest desire of your heart that has not yet been fulfilled? What is it? What comes to your mind? You can trust God with that too. Um, There's a wonderful teacher of scripture who I greatly admire. Her name is Jill Briscoe. Um, And she says it best. She says, when we lean on God, he doesn't fall over. When we lean on God, he doesn't fall over. So however you answered that question, um, and you know what it is, lean into him. When it doesn't make sense, um, when it hurts, when life is not as it ought to be, lean into him. He won't fall over. Let's pray. Lord, um, thank you that you, you write the plans for our life. Um, that you, we can trust you. I just pray that you would help us release um, the desire to control and to plan, Lord, um, and that we would place it in your hands. I just pray that there would be a humility about us, Lord, a humility knowing that you're bigger, that you're greater, and that you can handle it. And that you would reinstill courage and faith in us, knowing um, that our life is not yours, Lord. Um, Thank you for um, just the ability to gather in a room and to worship you and um, to point our eyes back um, to who you are. I just pray for anyone in this room um, that is hurting right now, whose life is not as it ought to be, that you would remind them that you are here um, and that you see them. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.